Ellen's on the show and she gathers people for the second one. It's funny that I think there's a lesson in it that a lot of people haven't learned since. If you watch it, it is one of the simplest and most clear call to actions for a social engagement in a show that you'll ever see. So she mentions, hey, let's break a record. Let's break a record. Everybody retweet this, right? So she gathers everybody and does it. I think it was maybe 10 minutes after she posted it, Twitter went down. All of Twitter went down. And I remember sitting there and saying to the woman next to me, I was like, is Twitter down for you? And she's like, yeah. And I had this like surreal moment. I'm like, this is us, right? This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. Josh Spector has created something very rare. That's an email newsletter you actually want to read every single week. His newsletter for the interested now has a following of 25,000 people, and he specializes in helping other people create successful newsletters. But that's not where he started. He's been in social media for quite some time, and he has some remarkable stories to tell about working in social media for the Oscars and for the Academy of Motion Pictures. In fact, he was directly involved in the famous Ellen selfie with a mass of celebrities in one photograph that ended up breaking a world record by getting 3.2 million retweets. So stay tuned for the the behind-the-scenes story of that, but also for a whole bunch of tips about how to make your email newsletter really compelling. Hi, Josh. Thanks very much for making time to be on the Ideas Lab podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. So you're over in the West Coast. You said you're in LA, are you? I am. I've been here for, wow, about 22 years now, which which seems like a lot. Where were you from originally? Somewhere completely different. Uh, born in Chicago and then high school and college in Maryland, right outside Washington, D.C., uh, and then moved out to L.A. after college. Good weather in L.A. Yeah, I, I've, I've managed throughout my life, I keep going to progressively better weather. So uh, from Chicago to Maryland to, to L.A., and I, it seems like I'm going to be here for a while. I like that. Now, you've been involved with marketing for huge brands, in, in particularly the uh, with the Oscars telecasts and, and around. You've got a real specialism in newsletters and writing compelling newsletters and getting people to open things. Now, yours, the, the For the Interested newsletter, is one of the few newsletters I read pretty much every week. And it's interesting, but it's of a certain kind of format. So it might be interesting to just describe, first of all, for people who haven't read For the Interested, who is it for and, and how does it work? Sure. So basically, it's a weekly newsletter that I've published for uh, a little over three years now. Uh, comes out every Sunday morning, uh, goes to about 25,000 subscribers at this point. Uh, and it is essentially a curated collection of idea of actionable ideas to help people improve their work, art, and life, which I know sounds very broad. But what's interesting is when you, uh, when you read it, as I'm sure you've picked up, there's there is sort of a through line uh, in all these ideas that while they may be on very different topics, they do somehow feel connected. And I think I think some of that through line is uh, number one, I'm not sharing uh, 
I'm not sharing links to articles that are about the news of the day. It's not about politics. It's not about, you know, all of that stuff. It's much more, and we can talk about this in a minute because I actually think this is a huge advantage with the newsletter, but it's much more evergreen content. So the reality is something that I shared two years ago in the newsletter is probably just as valid and helpful today as it was two years ago. Whereas if you have a newsletter where you're actually sharing and talking about the news of the day, the the lifetime value of that content may be three hours or these days maybe three minutes the way the news cycle is is changing. Um, but you know, predominantly my audience is uh you know, I, I like to call them the interested. There's a, there's a post on my site and I sort of explain what I see in the world is I see, uh, I've labeled them as the interested, but people that are interested in doing things, they're doers. They're not talking about doing stuff. They want to, they're creative. They want to create. There's a very, uh, optimistic, uh, tone. Most of the, almost all of the, I'm not sharing things about, the, everything's terrible. The world is going to end. You know, when you read my newsletter, you're not only sort of feeling better about things, but you're actually learning and getting things that you can do. There's a very sort of you can do it ethos to it. And so as a result, it's attracted an audience that not only is interested in doing it, whatever it may be. Again, in some cases, it's improving their life. In some cases, it's improving their art. In some cases, it's improving their work. Um, but, uh, but that's sort of my, my goal with it is, uh, to have people read it and actually be able to gain things from it that they can put into action and help improve whatever it is that they, that they want to improve. And, and so each newsletter in terms of the format of it, uh, there's, well, I now have, there's a free version and then there's an all access members version. So the free version features five, five ideas uh, one of which is almost always an original blog post that I've written. The other four are curated ideas. If you're an all-access member, uh, they get an extra five ideas, so they get 10 ideas per week, basically. Uh, and each idea is essentially a link to some interesting thing that I found, a couple sentences summarizing it, and and that's about it. So it's meant to be something that you can skim and read pretty quickly, uh, but yet there's a lot of depth there if you, if you want it. Um, and so typically, you know, the, I think it's funny cause sometimes, uh, people say, oh my God, it seems like a lot, but in reality, I don't expect everybody to click and read all 10 of the things. You know, I think in most cases I, I try to have a balance and a mix of stuff. So if one article is maybe tips about how to build your brand, another article might be tips about how to get a better night's sleep. Another article might be how to be more productive. Yes, there might be someone that's interested in all three of those things, but in most cases, people are going to find a couple things that they're particularly interested in. Yeah, I think I think I remember reading that stuff about brand. It was very interesting. So, and and it's interesting how clear you are about the kind of reader. And I, I is that one of the secrets of creating a sex a successful email newsletter? Do you think you have a very clear vision of who they are? Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually think not only is it a uh, is it a secret to uh, creating a successful newsletter. I actually think it's a secret to creating success in anything. That I think anything that you're doing, whether it be marketing, business, even art to a certain extent, even if you're trying to entertain people, I think it really has to. Number one, that your number one goal of anything is to provide value. 
And in order to provide value to someone, you need to know who you're trying to reach and what they value. Like I'm very big on sort of reverse engineering things in a certain degree. So I think, so from that perspective, if you don't know, if you don't know who you're trying to talk to, or you don't know what value you provide, I don't, I think you're just set up for failure or if not failure, at least spinning your wheels. So, you know, with me, I do have a very, uh, and it's certainly evolved over the years. I think I had a rough idea when I, st- when I started it, but certainly as you go, you get a better, you, you sort of fine tune what you're, what you're doing. Um, but yeah, I absolutely think if you're going to start a newsletter, that's where I, where I start. And, uh, you know, it's funny cause I actually recently put out a course about how to grow your newsletter called the newsletter accelerator. Um, which if anyone's interested, they can find on news, newslettercreators.com is where it lives. Uh, but the very first lesson of that course is how to set a goal for your newsletter. What are you trying to, what are you actually trying to accomplish? And, and to me, I think a lot of times people just assume it's like, oh, I want as many subscribers as possible, but that's not really a goal. That's a tactic to achieve a goal. So my question is sort of what are you actually trying to accomplish? Because it's possible you don't need a million subscribers. You might need a hundred of the right subscribers, depending on what your goal is. So that's sort of my, my first, I, that's where the whole course starts. And I think that's a key. But then the next step right after that is how to identify and find your target audience. Because once you know what you, what you want to accomplish, you then have to figure out who are the people that you want to and need to reach to accomplish that. So all of these things are certainly related, but yes, if you don't know who you're trying to reach and, and what value you're trying to provide to them, you're, it's, you're on a fast track to just spinning your wheels. And I think that's something I see people get wrong all the time in any kind of marketing. They don't know, they make it for everyone. And when you make it for everyone, like you say, you, you, now you don't, you don't know what they value because you don't really know who it is you're talking to. And then you don't know how to provide something that is of value to them because you're trying to hit, you know, a hundred different targets at once and you end up hitting none of them. And, um, is it, I mean, are there other classic mistakes that people make when they, when they start doing newsletters for UC and you think like, I, I've got to stop them doing that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think one is that they don't really know. I mean, like I said, they don't really know what they're trying to get out of it or they don't really know why they're doing it in the first place. Uh, that's one. A second one is maybe they do know what they're trying to do and why, but what they're actually doing is misaligned. So it doesn't actually fit the audience they think they want, or it doesn't fit the, uh, it's not providing the value they need it to provide to get what they want. This isn't a newsletter example, but it's an example I use all the time. Cause I also, uh, you know, I, I, what I do for a living is I work as a, an audience growth strategist. And as a consultant, I help people grow audiences for all sorts of different things. Uh, so an example of, of this sort of misalignment is, uh, I do a lot of social media work and I have both individual clients and bigger clients. And so like I'll work with, uh, I've worked with a lot of comedians and a lot of times every, whether it's comedians or anything, like when it comes to social media, everybody always starts with like, Oh, what's your goal? I want more followers. I want a lot of followers. I want, you know, and I always sort of go, well, like, okay, why, what are you trying to accomplish? And I had a conversation with a comedian once and uh, was asking him that. And he said, well, you know, I was like, what's your ultimate goal here, right? Social media is a tool that you can use to accomplish a goal. So let's talk about, you know, social media is not a goal in and of itself. 
so what are you actually trying to accomplish? And he said, well, I, you know, I want to get cast on a sitcom, right? And I said, okay, perfect. Now let's, let's talk about that goal. And now let's look at how to use the tool, in this case, social media, but it could just as well be a newsletter, right? I said, if you get 10,000 random people to follow you on social media, that's not actually going to get you any closer to landing a role in a sitcom. But if you get 50 casting directors and TV showrunners to follow you, that's going to get you way closer to landing a role. So so it, when you look at it like that and you go, okay, it's not about mass followers or in the case of newsletters, mass subscribers, it's about the right one. So now your strategy in terms of how you use social media or in this case, how you would use a newsletter should be designed to attract, in this hypothetical example, 50 casting directors, not 10,000 random people. Once you know that, that informs your entire, you know, now you go, okay, well, what do those casting directors value? What could I create that they would value that would also showcase me? And then you sort of pull that thread and go down that road. And now you've created a strategy designed to attract the audience that ultimately is going to give you what, you know, get you closer to what you want to do. So that misalignment is certainly a big mistake. Um, I would say a combination of, uh, consistency slash frequency slash patience. I kind of roll all of those into the same that, you know, this is not a, uh, newsletters is not a short term game. Uh, you're not going to start a newsletter and in a week, two weeks, all of a sudden it's unlocking your wildest dreams are coming true. That's that, that's not how this works. Uh, so I think having the patience to understand, I mean, just for some context, you know, people will sometimes look at me and they go, oh, how did you get 25,000 subscribers? And, and there's a lot of things I've done to do that. But part of it is, you know, I've published my newsletter every Sunday morning. It's come out every Sunday morning at 6 a.m. Los Angeles time for, I think, 173 weeks in a row. Uh, that doesn't guarantee that I'm going to grow a following, but it gives me an opportunity to. It, put, it puts me in the game, that consistency. And I think along with that is the frequency. I think sometimes people start a newsletter and, you know, I personally believe that, if, that you really need to publish it at least once every two weeks. So at least twice a month to in, in order to build any kind of real relationship with an audience. If you're publishing once a month, or just sporadically once every, you know, couple months, whatever, no matter how good your newsletter is, you're not, it's not frequent enough to build a connection to those people. Cause what you're really trying to do is, is you're trying to become, you're actually trying to become a habit for your audience. And if they don't know consistently when to expect it, you know, that's why every time I publish on Sunday mornings at 6 a.m., everybody's getting it at the exact same time. And as a result, it's become habitized for a lot of my readers to the extent that there was one week where something got screwed up and it didn't, for whatever reason, it was miss, it didn't send at 6 a.m. It wasn't going to go until noon. And I got a, I didn't realize it. I got a bunch of emails at, from people going, where's the newsletter? And I realized what had happened in that Senate, but it actually was incredibly encouraging because it made me realize, wow, this has really become a habit for people that they're expecting it. They notice when it's not there. And that's ultimately what you want. If I was, even if I sent my newsletter once a week, but sent it at a different day or time all the time, it's, they're never going to go, where's the newsletter? 
And that actually, that's really, yeah, that's really important. And and that is Seth Godin's test of value in the marketplace. Who is going to miss you if you stopped? And it's it's it and it it highlights it by having that consistency of timing. And I remember when I used to run live events in London, but it was called well, it was called Scanners Night, and it's for people who <clears throat> are like you described for the interested. There are people interested in lots of different things, loved learning for the sake of learning. And um, and after I've been running it a while, and I you know it was all very sporadic, and I wasn't taking it very seriously. I didn't run one one month, and people started going like. When's the next scanners night? And I went, all right, somebody other than me cares about this. And the nice thing about that is it gives you a certain momentum. It means it's not just about you. Um, It means that people actually, people want you to do the thing you're trying to get yourself to do. And that's a a good thing for your your, uh, your motivation. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when you were working on the uh, Oscars, what you were doing email marketing primarily was it or was it doing other things uh well so i was so in 2000 uh i started at the academy in 2011 uh and i basically was hired to run digital media and marketing for the academy and the oscars so full-time job year-round this is before i was consulting uh and so i basically built out a digital department there um so we did everything so social media email marketing uh all of you know video content the the whole thing both uh in promotion of the show and around the show itself, as well as the Academy's year-round programs. Um, So I wasn't doing a lot of newsletter-specific stuff there. It was much more, again, sort of overall social media, marketing, that kind of stuff. Uh, I was there full-time for five and a half years uh, and then left three years ago to go consulting full-time, took the Oscars as a client. So I continue to, every year, sort of serve that same function with the just for the Oscars itself, I don't do the other stuff uh, year round, and now I do it as a consultant. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit of it's a little bit of everything. That sounds like it sounds quite good fun. Then you're dealing with social media all around the Oscars. Yeah, it's uh, it has been an incredible experience. Um, you know, there's it is definitely a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. Uh, it's one you know we've had some incredible moments. The Alan selfie. Uh, obviously was an adventure. What happened with the Ellen selfie then? Did So was this a genuine thing where she decided to do it or? Yeah, so it was, uh, I know there were reports sort of afterwards that it was like paid product placement. Samsung took a lot of credit for stuff that uh, wasn't necessarily fully their credit to take. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, you know, there's a lot that went into that. It definitely originated, uh, there, there was not a plan. There was a plan to do a selfie in the show. A lot of people don't. What a lot of people don't remember. There's a lot of things about this that people don't remember and and didn't realize, sort of, for context. So the first time Alan had hosted the show several years before, and this was before Facebook, Twitter. This was like MySpace era. She had actually gone out into the crowd. It was actually before camera phones. I think that was taken with like a digital camera. She had gone out into the crowd and taken a photo with, I think it was like Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese, maybe it was with Martin Scorsese or Steven Spielberg. And I think she handed the camera to Martin Scorsese and said, Hey, take a photo of us. So she had sort of done a version of this bit, but it was in kind of a pre social media world. Um, so then when she hosted this time, uh, you know, it was her idea to do 
a selfie. And, and the selfie that everybody remembers, the one that broke the record and went insane, was actually, what people don't remember is it was the second one in the show, that there was one that she did earlier. Uh, and we're, you know, we have sort of a war room backstage during the show and we're closely in contact with all the social platforms. And there's a whole, as you can imagine, there's an insane amount of stuff going on. And we're in contact with the producers and Ellen's team and everything sort of on the fly. So there was a plan to do the first one when she did it. Uh, you know, I noticed backstage, I was like, I've never seen I that tweet. I had never seen anything get retweeted that fast. So you're, you're monitoring all the numbers and seeing the retweets and likes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And just instinctively, you could just see, you know, again, like anything, when you, when you work with it sort of enough, you have an instinctive sense of like, this is faster than, and it just struck me that like, this seemed like a lot. And so I was curious in the moment and I said to uh, this woman that worked with me, I was like, you know, I just wondered, I was like, what's the, what's the most retweets ever? And I was not thinking about in the moment. I was just like, the way this is going, maybe a few weeks from now, like this could break the record or whatever. And she looked it up and uh, she said that it was, uh, it was the, it was an Obama tweet from his, the night of his second election, I guess it was of him hugging Michelle. And that was previously the most retweeted tweet. So, uh, so during the show, again, we're giving feedback to the producers and the host about what we're seeing online. So I reached out to them and was like, Hey, that, you know, that selfie tweet did really well. And like, I think it could even potentially break a record, not thinking like in the moment, like thinking at some point and literally like seconds later, cause we're watching the show on monitor seconds later, Ellen's on the show and she gathers people for the second uh, the second one. And she gives, it's funny. It's interesting because this is one of, in my opinion, it's funny that I think there's a lesson in it that a lot of people haven't learned since. If you watch it, it is one of the simplest and most clear call to actions for a social social engagement in a show that you'll ever see. So she mentions, hey, let's break a record. Let's break a record. Everybody retweet this, right? So she gathers everybody and does it. So that whole part about let's do a second one, let's try to break a record, that was not planned. That was sort of an on-the-fly reaction to what we had seen from the first one. And then the second, so she does that and it posts up. And that one was getting retweeted so fast that it made the first one look like nothing. And now I was really like, I don't even know what to say about this. And I think it was, I think it was maybe 10 minutes after she posted it, Twitter went down. All of Twitter went down. And I remember sitting there and saying to the woman next to me, I was like, is Twitter down for you? And she's like, yeah. And I had this like surreal moment. I'm like, this is us, right? Like, I think <laughs> we just, like, I think we might've just, I think we might've just broken Twitter. Uh, and she was like, I don't know. And I was like, well, I was like, well, whether we did or not, we're going to take credit for it. So I actually, it's one of my, this is one of my personal favorite tweets of all time. I took a screenshot of the Twitter fail screen. And then as soon as, as soon as Twitter came back up, which I think was like, you know, it was down for maybe 10 minutes or so. As soon as it came back up uh, from the Academy account, we posted that screenshot and just said like, sorry, I think the tweet was like, sorry, our bad. Um, and so, you know, and then it went crazy, you know, it went crazy and the tweet obviously broke the record. It broke Obama's record, I think within an hour of being posted, which, you know, was insane. Uh, 
and we're in contact with Twitter and, you know, and they're like, you know, and, and they sort of confirm like it broke the record. And, you know, so I'm telling the producers and Ellen, we broke the record and she, and two minutes later, she's on stage going, we broke the record. Great job. You know, great jobs guys. And so it was an amazing, you know, it was an amazing moment and it was, she certainly deserves the vast majority of the credit across the board. Um, it was a Samsung phone because Samsung's the sponsor of the show. They were not involved in the creative planning or anything like that. Um, but yeah, but so yeah, I mean, it was certainly a highlight and, uh, you know, and, and working on the Oscars in general, you know, it's such a big event, not just for the entertainment industry, but for all the social platforms. So the ability to work closely with the platforms themselves on a project in which they'll pull out all the stops to do whatever. There's very few people that have that opportunity. Most people, even with big movies and big projects, you're still kind of, you know, the, the relationship is different. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, and then also working with brands and sponsors and talent and hosts, and there's a lot of different dimensions to it. Um, but yeah, it's a long-winded way of saying, yeah, the Oscars has been quite an experience. <laughs> I love that story. I think that's fantastic. And, um, I, I mean, does email feature? So that's not the major part of what you're doing. Do they actually get involved? I guess they have some kind of email list, but uh, it, it, these days it's probably a lot more social media. The Academy does. I think there have been a lot of sort of, st- as as relates to their newsletters, email. Well, here's, this is another thing we can also talk about. I sort of view news, quote unquote, newsletters as separate from email marketing. While there is overlap and a good newsletter will help you with email marketing. When I talk about newsletters, I tend to think more and, and mean more content driven. The newsletter kind of is the product versus I think of email marketing more as like you're doing sales emails. That's a, that's an important distinction, isn't it? Because because you, what you're talking about is a newsletter you actually want to read. And then in between that, you might well be, because you've built some momentum around that newsletter, you're going to send extra emails, which are uh, quite possibly straight, e- straight sales emails because you've got a promotion on saying, hey, I'm running this thing or this thing is happening. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, and it, what's interesting is I, a lot of the quote unquote rules and things that I say about how a newsletter should operate, I'm talking about sort of a content driven newsletter. If your goal is really straight email marketing, right, that you're not really interested in creating a content product, that you're just trying to sell your merchandise or whatever it is you're doing, then actually I think is a whole different set of rules. Like I would not say if you're doing email marketing, I would say that doing it sporadically is fine. I would say that I don't think you should be sending emails every week just to send an email every week selling whatever your thing is, right? Like you're now you're just annoying people and you're actually losing their attention. So to me, they're two completely different buckets. That said, the the irony is a really great newsletter is an incredible marketing tool. So it's not that I don't think newsletters can be used for marketing. I think they can and I think they should. But I think in your own mind when you're doing this, and this goes back to goals and what are you trying to accomplish, that you should go into it going, okay, I'm creating a newsletter. To me, a newsletter is about delivering value to people. Email marketing is about you getting value from them. Totally different, totally different uh, things. That's a really good point. And you've, you've got to kind of put, well, generally, there's always an exception to every rule. You've got to put 
something into the pot before you try and withdraw it. So that's part of the purpose of a, of a good newsletter people want to read is like, well, this person's given me loads of help. And then when they say they're running a course or they're doing providing some service or something, you're interested because you've seen that they have value to give. Plus there's a certain, sometimes you get that reciprocity effect of like, well, you know, they're really generous. And so when I work with them, I'm probably going to have a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, in some ways you're, you're doing a newsletter to attract and build a relationship with people, with an audience, right? You're not doing a newsletter specifically to sell to them. You're doing email marketing. Yes, you still need a relationship and all of that, but you're doing email marketing because you want to sell to them. And I think this is another, when you go into mistakes, I think a lot of times people, what they actually are doing or what they want to do is email marketing. But in their mind, they're calling it, they're sort of trying to cheat it and call it a newsletter. And then they're wondering, why are people unsubscribing? Why aren't people signing up in the first place? Well, you're not giving them, a, you know, you're not actually giving them value. You're sort of pretending to give them value to then sell to them. It's, it's backwards. Um, you know, and I think, whereas if you're going to do, and I'm not down on email marketing, I think it's super effective uh, and can be when done right. I just think it's an entirely different framework it's a really good distinction i think yeah and some people who are heavy hardcore internet marketers don't do much in the way of a newsletter i mean if you get onto a marketer like ryan dice's list he's very good at email marketing but basically it's a kind of a lot of these people now have a sort of churn and burn philosophy which is they push you get onto the list for some reason because you opt in to get something and then they push you until you buy something they don't really mind if that turns off a lot of people and they unsubscribe because they're trying to appeal to a very specific kind of audience and one that is eventually going to buy. Now, sometimes there's a softer version and there'll be Ryan Dice, for instance, sends very long blog posts every so often, about one a month or something it feels like. And they're, they're really, really useful. But every rest of the time, it's just like, buy this thing. <laughs> so yeah, no. Yeah. And, I, and I, think there's, I think there's confusion on both sides because I think the other thing is sometimes you'll see people who have content-driven newsletters using email marketing tactics to try to grow their list. So for example, lead magnets, which I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, lots of people talk about, I get asked this all the time of like, oh, shouldn't I use a lead magnet to build my newsletter subscribers? And, and I, my answer is all, and I actually talk about this in the course as well, but you know, my answer is sort of two parts. Like, yes, a lead magnet will work in terms of getting you more people to give you their email address. The problem is the people giving you their email address don't want your newsletter. They just want the lead magnet. So when you do that, you get a lot of churn, you get a lot of people signing up that either are then going to not open your emails or they don't really, there's, there's a mismatch there. And that in actuality, I think from a newsletter perspective, let's say you created some great lead magnet, I would say instead of hiding it and requiring people to give you their email address, if it's really that good, put it out there for free. And include a plug in it and say, if you like this, subscribe to my newsletter because the people that do that will want your newsletter. And and this, but but this but this only works if you have a generally interesting newsletter because then. But that's what I'm saying. So my on an email marketing, so like lead magnets for email marketing makes sense to me because you're not looking to build an ongoing relationship. You're just looking to get an opt in so you can send them whatever it is that you're going to send them marketing wise. So for that, but what's interesting is again, just like 
you have email marketing people sort of framing things as a newsletter that aren't, and then it doesn't work. You have some newsletter, content-driven newsletter people borrowing email marketing tactics like lead magnets to try to build subscribers to their content-driven newsletter. And then ultimately that's mismatched too. So there's, you know, there, there's overlap and confusion, but yeah, it's one of the things that I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time or have spent a lot of time thinking about even the word newsletter, because it means a lot of different things to different people as does email marketing. So that's one of the things that I definitely try to uh, try to convey to people is that when I'm talking about newsletters, I mean sort of content-driven newsletter is the product, not I see email marketing as a sort of separate thing. Okay, so um, I think that, that, that's that been really useful. Um, what would be good to do is to make sure that um, people can, first of all, get to your newsletter because, it, like I say, I really reckon it's just really interesting. And for that, it's fortheinterested.com, right? Yep. And they can go to fortheinterested.com slash subscribe is the actual sign up page. Um, but they can, and that website also, I should say, and this is another, uh, I'm a big fan of, again, it all depends what you're trying to do. But in general, I'm a big fan of sort of evergreen content as opposed to topical. So that website, I have uh, curated all of the ideas I've shared. So, over you know 17 almost 2000 ideas are on that site so you can also besides going there and signing up for the newsletter you can browse around you can there's a search so you you know you could type in creativity or marketing and you will get boatloads of really helpful ideas so that's another again this is just you know for me personally it's another advantage of evergreen is that the stuff that I'm curating now lives forever. If I was doing something that was about the news of the day, there'd be basically no value at this point to this, to all the work I had put in previously, but yes, for the interested.com. Yeah, no, that's really good. And, and those blog posts are, are great. And um, so your main website where you describe the kind of things you do for people, it, well, everything you do, I guess is Josh And you've got a free Facebook group, which might interest people. Is that is that open to everybody? It is. They uh, it is open to everybody. You just have to uh, request to join, and then there's like a couple questions, like simple. But every, everybody gets in. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's called Newsletter Creators. Um, there are we're up to over a thousand, maybe even over twelve hundred members in the group. It's all people who either run newsletters, are thinking of starting newsletters. Uh, it is a fantastic group. Everybody is helpful and nice and running newsletters of all sorts. People that started a week ago and have five subscribers and people that have literally been doing it for 20 years, which is mind blowing. Uh, people who have, you know, hundreds of thousands of subscribers, you know, people who are doing it for big organizations, people who are doing it for themselves. Uh, it's really, really a fantastic group, uh, that I'm very proud of. And yeah, anyone who has a newsletter is interested in them. Uh, I welcome to join. Yeah. Oh, great. So newsletter creators to search for that on Facebook and it'll be under groups and for people who want to dive in and start making their newsletter successful straight away, your course is the newsletter accelerator. Is that right? Yeah. It's the newsletter accelerator. You can find it at newslettercreators.com. Uh, and the course is, it's really, you know, it's really designed to, it's, it's a text-based course. It's 22 lessons. Uh, it's basically everything you need to know about how to grow your newsletter. 
uh, it's not only how it, you know, while it is helpful for people who are just starting out, it's also really helpful for people who have existing newsletters. Um, it break, it's very, you know, much like I said with my own newsletter, like it's very concrete and actionable. So, you know, there's a lesson on how to, uh, how to optimize your signup page that literally goes into, here's how to describe your newsletter. Here's how to describe the value. Here's a template that you can use. Uh, you know, in terms of the, the lesson on goals, there's literally a breakdown of, you know, I forget how many, maybe it's like eight or 10 goals. It's like most newsletters have, are going after one of these goals, right? Maybe you want to make money. Maybe you want to create opportunities for yourself. Maybe it's personal branding, like that kind of thing. So, so it really is designed to help people, uh, you know, step-by-step sort of figure out and improve what they're doing already or learn how to, how to do this and how to make sure that, you know, I sort of say that, that really it's designed to help people get the most out of the time, effort, and resources they're putting into this. Because I think that's the other thing that I should mention is, you know, it takes effort. Like there, there's no, you know, a good newsletter, like, you know, you're gonna put time into it. You know, even if you, no matter how simplified you make it, it, you're still going to spend an hour, a couple hours a week, probably, you know, at a minimum, let alone if you're putting other, you know, paying for a, a mailing list service, you know, you're going to invest time, effort and money into this on some level, even the easiest version. Right. And for me, like I would talk to people and I would see people who are doing that, who are doing it consistently, who maybe who have an actually good newsletter and they're not getting the results because they're just missing some things, right? They don't describe it well on their sign up page or they're, you know, they're not, you know, uh, they don't know how to promote it. They don't know how to find, you know, there's a whole part of the course that's about promotion. How, where do you find your audience? How do you both paid and free promotion, right? How, if you have budget that you want to spend, there are ways you can use Facebook ads to grow your subscribers. Uh, if you don't have budget, here's exactly how to do cross promotions with other newsletter creators. So it's very sort of tactical in that way. Um, and also very modular in that pretty much whatever, wherever you're at in your newsletter journey, you know, it's interesting. The reason why I built it around how to grow a newsletter is because I realized that's a thing that every newsletter creator wants. They want to grow. Now, for some people, that means more subscribers. For some people, that means more uh, money. Uh, for some people, that means more leads if you're in a sort of lead generation space. For some people, it can just mean more. Some people do it because they want to learn, right? It's more learning opportunities. So there's a, growth can mean a lot of different things. Um, but that's really what the course is about. Uh, and it just launched uh, a couple of weeks ago. People, so far, the response has been great. People are finding it really, really helpful. Uh, and oh, and I guess I should also mention it's 100% guaranteed. So this is another sort of per- <laughs> I like personal it. philosophy. You know, it's funny. I do this with my individual consulting as well. Uh, I have a sort of personal business philosophy that I have no interest in taking money from people who don't find it value, who don't find that they received value in return for any reason. So I will, again, not just with this course, I do it with my own personal consulting as well. Uh, if it's not what you thought it was going to be, if you don't like it, if you don't, whatever, I'm more than happy to give you all your money back. 
I've always operated this way. I'm equally proud to say I've never had anybody ask for a refund on my consulting. Uh, and, you know, and I, I just, again, I just believe, I think it's better business. Um, and I extend that to this course as well. So people literally have nothing to lose because if they buy it and it's not what they thought it would be. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And I think that's great on the online course, but but I think even even more impressive if you do it on independent on, on your actual consulting. So that's a great philosophy. I, I like your approach to all these things. So thank you, Josh. It's been great. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast.